pencils down. Please turn in your work up front. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, um, I did that for a couple reasons. Um, the first reason is I wanted you guys to start thinking biblically about where missions is in the Bible. And so it was like a little warm-up so we can start to get ready for this. But I did this for a second reason. How many of you guys came up with mission scriptures from the Old Testament? Raise your hand. Okay. My heart is I want you guys to see missions throughout the whole Bible. I really have two purposes. And I want you to see that from the start, God has been a missional God. He has been that way from the foundation. Okay, so we're actually going to take a good portion of our time going through Old Testament passages so you can see God's heart for the nations and his mission to the world. And then second, we're going to talk about how does God want to use you? Let's apply this to our lives because knowledge for the sake of knowledge is stupid. But applied knowledge, taking it, doing something with that with God, man, that's, that's powerful. And there are things we can do starting now. But let's start to dive in. We're actually going to look at Genesis 1. Genesis 1. This is where missions begins. And we're going to start with Genesis 1.27. It's probably a verse we've all heard before. And it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So why do we go back to the origin? Well, the origin of something tells us what its purpose is. Right? When, we, when computers were created, when a software program was created, when, where this building was created, it was created with a specific purpose and intent in mind. Well, humans were created. And we're created with a specific purpose and intent in mind. And we're starting to catch a picture of this. We were made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And that means several things. First, we're going to reflect him in his goodness, his character. His morals. We get to reflect him with rationale. We have a volition and a will. So we get to reflect who God is. And then we get this next thing from God in Genesis 1, 28. And this is what I'm going to call the first commission to humanity. The first mission that was given to us. And it was, it says this. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, humans. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So God, right after saying, hey, I'm making you in my image. You are going to reflect me. You, everything about you is going towards me. That's what we call worship, right? Full devotion and relationship with God. That is, that is true worship. So with that, knowing we are made in the human of God, image of God, we are to spread that throughout the whole world. We're to spread, we are to be fruitful and multiply under the blessing of God, and that is to spread throughout the whole world. And so this is actually the foundation of missions, that in relationship with God, fully devoted to him, we spread his image throughout the whole world. Okay, that sounds great, right? What happens in Genesis 3, though? The fall. Humans don't do such a good job at this. Um, really, we don't know how long they were with God, but they blew it at a certain point. And so evil and sin have entered into our world through the temptation of the devil, Satan, and as a snake. And God actually still in the midst of all this downfall, and it seems like all is lost, and we're not going to see this commission fulfilled. But God leaves a glimmer of hope right after 
we see this fall and sin enter into the world, and we see this. It's actually talking about Jesus. Genesis 3, 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, right? Talking to this the snake, the Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Scripture actually clarifies this offspring is Jesus. So we see this first glimmer of hope that though this ideal world of what God had created, that we'd be in the image of God reflecting who he is in his glory and spreading this out throughout the whole world as we are fruitful and multiply, there's a glimmer of hope that all might not be lost yet. And so we see this is talking about Jesus. So there's hope, but we're going to continue to see, does it really restore everyone right away? Do humans go, oh, thank goodness, and start walking with God again? Well, no, we really don't see that. And actually, we see in Genesis 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. People are just, evil is rampant. And we see this interesting thing. It's what happens to us nowadays. Instead of making an image, reflecting the image of God, they want to make an image of themselves. They want to make a name for themselves, not a name for God. And so though they're beginning to be fruitful and multiplying on the earth, they are not multiplying the image of God. And in the midst of it, they're being held by captivity from sin and evil and destruction. But thankfully, even though in the midst of this, God brings another character about. And we're going to see some powerful things that are spoken in it's, it's Abraham. And he actually grows closer to God and begins to trust him. And he begins to walk in the ways, though it's rocky at first and it's rocky throughout the time, He's, he's trusting God beginning to walk in his ways. And we're seeing him begin to reflect the image of God again. But it says this. We call this the Abrahamic blessing. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I hope you guys are Bible nerds like me because we're going to talk about a lot of scripture because we need to see missions all throughout it. So let's read this. Go from your home country. God speaking to Abraham. Go from your home country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and dishonor you, um, and though him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be, can you guess it? Blessed. Blessed. God talks about a lot of blessing in here, doesn't he? And a lot of blessing going at this one guy, Abraham. And this is actually a theme we see in the Bible. Those who trust God, God has a tendency to want to bless them, right? When my children honor me and, and reflect the things that I know are God's good standards, I, I, I really want to bless them too and see them grow and prosper. But why? Why does God abundantly and overwhelmingly bless Abraham? We actually see the answer in verse 3. That all of the nations, of all I'm sorry, all of the families of all nations will be Blessed. So it's a continued theme that God blesses those who love him or entrust a relationship with him, that everyone in the world might be blessed, that everyone, and once again, this is continuing to talk about Jesus, that ultimately we're going to see this Jesus come and all the families of the earth are blessed, this Jesus descended from blessed Abraham, and Jesus will represent this, but we see it with Abraham, and we see it with so many people. This is the mission of God. God loves to bless those who are trusting relationship with him, to go into the world and to see that blessing spread so people might come back to God. But I'm going to talk about some other things so we can keep convincing you 
that missions is all throughout scripture. Are you guys starting to get convinced that this has been missions from the start? Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm seeing a lot of glazed looks. I don't know if it's because I'm going through a lot of scripture or you're just trying to write notes fast enough. If you don't get it down, I will happily share with you all my notes. So don't freak out if you miss something. Cool? Okay. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to look at the nation of Israel who is descended from Abraham, from blessed Abraham. And Israel really was just this claim with Abraham, right? Abraham had family members that were, and, and some servants, and they were totally about 300, but... Now they're living in Egypt. Abraham's long gone. And they have really been fruitful and multiplied, actually. And now they're, they're the nation of Israel. They're huge. And in the midst of them living in Egypt, Egypt's like, yeah, you guys are too big for us, and we feel threatened. So they preemptively start oppressing them. Preemptively. Just totally start oppressing them. They're afraid Israel's going to rebel against them and join their enemies. But in the midst of this, God frees them. He brings them out, he saves them, and he takes them out of Egypt, and he brings them to this mountain. And this is, this is incredible, once again, because remember, when you want to know the purpose of something, you need to look at its origin. And so here we see really almost uh, the identity of Israel given to them, their purpose. This is God's purpose for Israel, and it's given up on this mountain. And so we're going to read Exodus 19. Four through six. And I love Josh with Kingdom of Priests when he was talking about that. He actually mentioned this. Actually, half of my talk, people have emphasized um, over in the main sanctuary. So you're going to hear some thoughts, and I love that it's going to be re-emphasized, and I hope this sticks in your brain. Exodus 19, four through six, it's actually God talking to Moses to give Israel who they are. And so it says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, this is so packed. This is so packed. There's so much in this, even just besides that little bit of kingdom of priests. But we see several things here. He says, look, if you will indeed obey my voice and stay in covenant with me, right? To stay in trusted relationship with me. I want, you are going to be my treasured possession. I'm going to pour out my blessing on you. And you will be a kingdom of priests and a whole nation, right? So we see this theme of blessing on them. Why? Because they are a kingdom of priests. Now let's let's get this, because I, you know, when I first became a Christian, my idea of a priest was like the Pope and all those people. But a priest is is someone who represents God to the people and, and, and the people to God. And so there it's it's in a way an ambassador almost to continue to tell people about God. And every Israeli citizen is supposed to be a priest, right? Josh was talking about this. They are supposed to be God's representatives to the nation. So wherever Israel went, they were supposed to represent God to the world. In this incredible thing, they're supposed to be a holy nation, right? Right? Who else is holy? God. Thank you. You got all my answers today. I'm just going to write here. You're not going to keep talking. They're to reflect the image of God who is holy, wholesome, good, filled with good character in every single way, all the right morals and standards, this is what they're supposed to live in, God's treasured possession that they're blessed with to represent God to the nations. 
Have you seen the theme continue? That is actually the purpose of what Israel was supposed to do. Okay, once again, did they do that? No. Sadly, they did not fulfill this purpose of God where they were supposed to be a holy and missional nation for the world. They blew it so many times. They blew it so many times. And it's too bad because what happens when we live that holy, set-apart life? The world around us begins to look in and go, they're different. And it's attractive in a way. It's life-giving. They see that, right? We see this even in our own Kyle groups, right? Eli was just talking about it, that there's love between one another. And this shines a light to the world. The world looks in and go, I want to be a part of that. That's what Israel was supposed to be. And they completely blew it. They did not live in the image of God. But what do we see? Well, we often see Israelites taking on the image of the nations around them or just trying to make a name for themselves. Once again, a terrible theme of sin and selfishness. They see the world around them has kings. They want a king, which inherently rejected God as king. So they totally missed their purpose. But thankfully, they didn't always miss it. And I'm so grateful we do have some good examples throughout the Old Testament of people who, even if they didn't get it all the time, they got it sometimes. They got it sometimes. So we're going to fast forward a little bit more, and we're going to look at this guy named Solomon. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. He's a king of Israel. He's the son of David. And God actually gave it to him to build the first temple in Jerusalem. And so Solomon has completed it. And God is just abundantly, abundantly blessing Israel this time. And so much goodness is happening there. Um, and they're seeing success and wealth, and they're not even in war, like, People are being drawn in like the queen. There's this queen of the south, and she comes up to hear the wisdom of God through Solomon. And she's coming to know God because, once again, they're living as a holy nation, as priests, even though they do start to drift away completely. Right? They were definitely not perfect by any means. But here we are. The temple is built, and Solomon is praying this incredible prayer. I love the prayer he prays, and I'm only going to take us through a little bit of it. It's 1 Kings 8, 41 through 43. Listen, please listen closely to this. This is Solomon praying. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, the temple, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all peoples of the earth may know your name. And fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. That's a lot of talk about the nations right there. That seems to represent God's heart for more than just Israel, this nation that he's blessing. But he's blessing this nation, right? We see it right here in verse 42. He says, man, for these nations, these foreigners, they're going to hear about the crazy things you're doing. They're going to hear about the judgment on evil you bring. They're going to hear about the blessing that you poured out here. And they're going to come. And when they do, God, please answer their prayers. Why? So that all peoples of the earth may know God. So that all might be drawn into that trusted relationship with him. That they might be freed from the evil and sin that's running rampant in their world. That they may come and live together with us as a holy nation. And reflect the image of God once again and that multiply throughout all nations. That's missions, right? That's missions. They will hear of your great name and they will come. 
This is our missional God. He wants all people from all nations to know him personally and walk with him, be freed from sin, and reflect his image. All right, we're going to look at this last Old Testament scripture in depth. Um, this is Psalm 67. It is such a great missional scripture. And so if you're able to open it up, I highly recommend open it up, underline in there, check it out. Like this psalm just screams missions. Psalm 67, let's read it together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We see so many things of what God has been showing all throughout the Old Testament about missions in this one psalm. I love it so much. So the psalmist, he understands this missional purpose. And it starts off very similar to what God was doing with Abraham. It says, God bless us. Why? So that all of the earth may know you. Here, I'll read exactly. Um, so that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among just Israel, among all nations. All nations. Man, it's so good. <laughs> Let the peoples praise you. Let all peoples praise you. That we might see God judge the nations, right? To destroy evil out of the midst of them and take away sin. To guide them back into the truth, back into the image of God, that they would walk closely with him and reflect the image of God once again. You guys have heard me say that so many times now, but we got to see this. It has been it from the beginning. This whole psalm reflects the mission of God. And I put it down in just three bullets to bring people back in a trusting relationship with him where they're devoted to God, right? That's worship. Devoted to God with everything in their life. Two, to judge evil and destroy its influence completely, thus freeing people from the captivity of evil and sin. And the third point, to bring people back to reflecting the image of God and that that would spread throughout the whole world. This is missions. Now, as if that wasn't enough, I, I just need to overwhelm you for a second with a bunch of other scriptures that also talk about missions in the Old Testament, okay? So you can take a picture of this, check it out yourself. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? I just, this is all I had time to get all together, right? And we can look at a couple small examples. There are so many times where it's like, I'm, I will praise your name among the nations or let the nations know you, right? And God's even telling Pharaoh one time, like he's basically using Pharaoh so all the nations of the world will see the power of God. And we also see this, you know, we don't think about Jonah, but Jonah was the worst, best missionary of all times, he was the worst, best missionary of all times. He was just in every way trying to disobey God, but all along the way, God would save foreigners. Right? He's like, I'm out. I'm dipping to Tarshish. He's getting on this boat with a bunch of pagans. Storm comes. He's like, dang it. It's me, guys. Throw me off. Throw him off. Storm stops. And all the pagans go, oh, snap. His God's real. <laughs> and they fear the Lord. And then he goes to Nineveh. He, teaches a he preaches a terrible message if you look at it. 
He's just like, y'all are going to be destroyed in 40 days. Sucks. That's the TKV, the Taylor Crowley version. That's all he tells him. He's just like, no, repent. Maybe God will relent. No, you guys are going to be destroyed. And what happens? All of Nineveh repents. The worst, best missionary in the world. But it shows God's steadfast love for the nations that they might come out of evil and return to him and reflect his image once again all throughout the earth. All right, are you guys convinced? Missions in the OT. You guys are with me? Do we need to do like a stand-up stretch a little bit? Because we're, we're going to go to the New Testament now. Are you guys up for that? Okay, one person took me up on that. <laughs> um, once again, I got to say, um, people get degrees in missiology, which is the study of missions. Um, they actually don't call it that because if you go to a foreign nation saying, I have a degree in missiology, they're like, get out. So they call it like intercultural studies and <laughs> things like that. But all that to say, I have an hour to try to give you some things that people take four years to learn this stuff. So if you guys want to get a missiology degree, go for it. But let's look at the New Testament. And I heard someone call this scripture out. I think it was the VT crew down here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Right? This is like the climax of um, missional scriptures. The Great Commission, right? I talked about the First Commission, but this... This is the Great Commission. Jesus at the end of his life. And remember, when you say words at the end of your life, you're very specific with them. And they're very important and weighty. So Jesus at the end of his life, he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's talking to his disciples, his followers. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples, that just means followers, learners of Jesus, that all of their life is to following and learning from Jesus, that they would be taught everything that Jesus had taught the disciples, right? That's, I mean, that's, do I need to convince you that's missions? I don't know if I do. Matthew 24, 14, bless you. I love this proclamation of Jesus. Um, he talks about, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world is a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus fully expects that the gospel, the saving power for all peoples, will be given to all nations before his return. Everyone, everyone, all over the world will be given that opportunity before he returns, that we would see a witness of Jesus moving through all nations, and then the end will come. I love that scripture. You can dive into Matthew 24. There's so many other things there. But we're going to look at Luke 24, 44 through 49. So here we see Jesus is just resurrected and come back to life. And he's giving some final words to his closest disciples, his closest followers. But notice the mission he puts front and center. He talks, I'm going to skip down a little bit. He says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Like I hope I'm doing with you right now. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all of Israel. No, I'm just kidding. To all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. By the way, missions and the Holy Spirit completely connected together. So I hope you got to go to one of the Holy Spirit conversations. If not, you need to talk to someone because it's powerful. 
But we see this once again, forgiveness of sins, to get them out of the captivity of sin, to be brought back into an image and trusted relationship with God, to spread this around the world right here. That's what Jesus wanted throughout the whole world. I just put the whole book for this one. I mean, literally, just go read the whole book of Acts. Because the whole book of Acts, you see basically two giant themes. You see the Holy Spirit and missions. Complete, they're inexplicably connected. I'm saying that right. They're completely connected together. <laughs> completely connected together. We see the move of God through the church spreading throughout the whole world. Spreading throughout the whole world. And the Israelites who were mostly, they were mostly all the Christians at first, they had to kind of start figuring out, oh, this is for everybody. And Paul really got it, and they sent it through all the nations, planting churches everywhere, everywhere. People were freed from evil. They were brought back or just into relationship with God for the first time. Acts is an incredible book. It is such a missional book. It's amazing. If you have not read the whole book of Acts, please, like, I urge you, read it, read it. Okay, so these are some of the obvious scriptures from the New Testament that I'm going to give you. But I also want to give you a couple that I, I don't know if we've thought of them as God's missional heart for the nations. Okay, so we're going to start with this one. The wise men. The wise men. I love thinking of, you know, what if God did it this way? Why did he have to do it this way? Why did God have to put something in the sky that people so far away could see? God could have done a lightning bolt that all the local Israelites could have seen, but he put something there that could be seen miles and miles away. Because why? And it's most likely because the wise men, they were Persian most likely. There's some other theories out there. But they are from a faraway eastern nation, most likely Persia. And they would have most likely heard about this Yahweh God from when Israel was taken captive into Babylon. And then Persia had come over that. So these wise men, who are complete foreigners and away from the promises of Israel, they had learned about this Yahweh God and they were actually looking for him. God knows that, and he gives them a sign from far away that they could see, right? Have you guys ever thought of that before? That one just hit me this past Christmas. I was like, God, man, you love the nations. Well, let's look at this one. Jesus flips tables for missions. Okay? I got a table up here. Is anyone up for it? <laughs> no. So I think there's a couple reasons Jesus flips tables. So go with me on this one. One, you know, the scripture really just says, you know, Jesus, he walks into the Jerusalem temple, and there are all these money changers and people's, you know, selling animals, which was for animal sacrifice, right? So when people come far away, they didn't want to love their ox or pigeon or whatever, so they just bring the money, buy one there, and sacrifice. So you had to exchange to that currency there in the temple with the money changers, and then you had to buy your animal for sacrifice. So one, they were doing this in one of the larger courts of the temple, most likely, um, and because that's where they could do a lot of business. And the people who are running these money changing and animal things, they're hiking up all the prices. They got a monopoly. So that's why Jesus says, man, this is a place of prayer. This is a place of reverence, of worship, that when people enter into the temple, even if it is the first court of the temple, there's supposed to be a place of encountering God right away. And you're ruining it. And you're actually taking advantage of people. Den of robbers. That's what he calls them. It's pretty harsh. So where's missions in that? The court that they were doing this in was called the court of Gentiles. They were doing this in the court of Gentiles. When the temple was first established, 
there were rules on who could go into the temple and how far. So foreigners could only enter into that first court, the court of Gentiles. Women could enter a little bit deeper. And men who were clean and had no physical issues, they could go really deep. And then the high priest, he could go into the Holy of Holies. But Gentiles, foreigners, people who were not Israeli, could only enter into that first court. So imagine stepping into this court, this Gentile who's heard of the amazing things of God and is seeking him. Can you imagine if we go into the sanctuary and there's like a like a crazy like third world market going on? Like I went to Haiti one time, they had this like hay market. I couldn't hear the person next to me in some ways. Can you imagine going into the sanctuary trying to worship God with all that going on? Can you imagine trying to go and encounter God and pray to him with all of that going on? And Jesus is pissed. Because they're stopping even foreigners from coming to know him. Are you guys convinced now? Jesus flips tables for his father and create a worship environment, but also for missions. Man, Jesus is passionate. I love this one. You heard this mentioned really quickly from Josh. First Peter, he actually, he basically just reinstates Exodus 19, 4 through 6 that we talked about before, this kingdom of priests. And he says this, and he's talking most likely to Jews. There's some debate about this, but they're Christian Jews now. But I believe there's good argument that this extends to all followers of Jesus. Peter says this, but you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Holy nation, reflecting the image of God, treasured possession, blessed by God. Why? That we would proclaim his excellencies throughout the whole earth. God's representative to the world that people might come to know and be freed from sin, live for him in his image, and multiply that on the earth. Another scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. If you haven't seen this in Chi Alpha, you probably haven't been in Chi Alpha for a few years, but this scripture is said all the time around Chi Alpha world. You'll probably see it on the National Chi Alpha website, but it's talking about how we are ambassadors of Christ, right? It says this, all this is from God who through Christ, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are blessed to be reconciled to him. Now we help others reconcile to him. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are literally God's ambassadors on earth. We are to represent him to the nations with this ministry of reconciliation. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. Am I beating a dead horse on this one? Okay. I'm just giving you more ammo, I guess. Ministry of reconciliation, that we were first reconciled by him, and now we go to see the world reconciled back to God, living in his ways and freed from sin because they're forgiven now. All right. This is the final New Testament scripture I'm really going to dive into. And I hope that you see we started in Genesis and we're ending in Revelation. Right? I might not have hit every book, but we hit, a, we hit a good amount. This theme of missions is throughout the whole Bible. Now, I was actually, I'm going off track a little bit, but I was listening to a man named Chris Wright 
um, talk about missions in the Bible, and I just thought it was an incredible talk. And he said, you know, when we read the Bible, we have to read it with a missions hermeneutic. Hermeneutic means this is how we read and interpret the scripture. So when we go in, we have to go in with a lens saying missions is in here somewhere. Right? We also need to go in and say Jesus is in here somewhere. <laughs> That's huge. But we also have to go in and say missions is in here somewhere. Some, somehow this is fitting into the grand scheme of things to bring all people or as many people who accept Jesus back to God and living for him. And so we're going to end with the final book. And this is an incredible, incredible scripture. And I don't have nearly enough time to go into the beauty of it. Please study it. But it says this. And this is John. He's been brought up to see a picture of heaven. Um, he's having this incredible vision. And he's seeing what heaven looks like. Um, it says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. I love, he clarifies this, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I love this. I love this for a number of reasons, this scripture. One, because when we think of nation, we often are just like, oh yeah, you got China, you got India, you got Japan, Bolivia. You can just start naming off. But even within those nations, you have all these different types of people, right? I'm gonna have someone come up from China um, towards the end of this talk, and you know, he, you can even ask him questions. In China, there's so many different people groups. You have the Han Chinese, and then you have the Uyghurs who are Muslim and completely different than the Han Chinese. You get all these different types of people. So I love that he's like, not even just from every nation. So it's not just the Han Chinese of China who represented it. We see multiple people groups represented before God that even speak different languages from different tribes. I love that clarification. God loves so many different types of people. And you know what? He's worthy of it. He's so much more worthy than us just giving him English. He's so much more worthy than us just giving him an American culture. He's worthy of all the different cultures giving him worship and glory in different ways. He's worthy of all those different expressions. I love that, and that's right in here. And, and once again, we see this image. This is where we're going. This is that final time where we're, we're back with God in good relationship with him, reflecting his image, a multitude that can't even be counted, right, fruitful and multiplied, worshiping God full of devotion. That's the final goal that we're going towards. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to get to heaven and be like, God used me to help bring about some of this. But there are people from a culture or tribe that were never there before and are now getting the opportunity to go there. Wouldn't that be legit? I, I want to be used by God in that way. And I, I hope you all too. So I'm going to give my final Kind of just sum it all up once again. I am getting a dead horse, but repetition is powerful because we got to remember this. God is on mission to bring back people into relationship with himself. Destroy evil and save people from it. Evil means sin and the effects of, 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 of what the fall brought. And three, cause humanity to reflect his image in, in true devotion once again. This is missions. This is missions. I love this quote. It's by a man named John Piper. Um, 
And it really helps us understand missions is not the end goal. Missions is actually a medium. Missions exist because worship does not. Right? True devotion and love of God does not exist. Therefore, missions does. And when we get to heaven, does missions exist? Not in the form we know it right now. No, but, but there, thankfully, we will reflect his image and glory and walk with him closely. But right now, there is this mission to see people reconciled back because the worship is not there all around the world. Missions exist because worship does not. All right, let's get our application. Are we fully convinced missions throughout the whole Bible? Yes. Come on, let's go. I love conviction. Now that we have that biblical conviction and understanding, we're going to talk about just some application. I'm even going to give some clarification and strategy to things. I love to look at things a little bit differently. World mission versus local outreach. So mission goes much further beyond our, our campuses and local communities, cities, and even our nation. Because if you're only thinking missionally about your city or your campus, you're not thinking from God's whole big picture. We must have a wider vision of what missions is truly supposed to accomplish. That'll even help us to accomplish what we're accomplishing on the campuses. But our vision for missions must go way beyond just the campuses. And now trust me, I like, once again, I'm 100% behind local like evangelism ministry work. I, I work for Chi Alpha. But my vision must include the whole world for what we're actually trying to accomplish, even just on my campus. Um, Sorry, I'm just thinking about how I'm going to say this. Yeah. We also need to understand there are groups of people around the world who have never been given the opportunity to hear the name Jesus. Okay? We call these, these unreached people groups. And I even want to clarify, you know, I was saying this a little bit before, but yes, you have nations. But even within those nations, you have groups of people that are separated by geographic region, language, culture, religion. So we call these people groups. They're like a smaller subset of nations. And there are some incredible websites and organizations that actually do their best to try to track these, like Joshua Project. Write that down. Check out that website. Look at it. Joshua Project will try to look at every people group around the world, which is really hard to do, and say, do they have any sort of witness of Jesus here? Do they have a church? Do they even have any Christians? Have they heard the name Jesus before? Because there's so many places around the world and so many people groups that they've, they've got nothing. And actually, it's really interesting. Joshua Project, they'll show you a map. And it'll be like green, yellow, red dots. And it'll show you, and that shows you how, how much of a move of God are we seeing here. Or how much Christian witness and influence is here. And if you look, you know, there's this thing called the 1040 window. It's a 40 degree latitude line, a 10 degree latitude line. And in there, through the Middle East and Northern Africa, um, and, and a good portion of Asia is a lot of red dots. And there's so many, you know, India itself has so many red dots that you can basically make out India just from the red dots alone. Thousands, thousands of red dots. We have so much still to accomplish. So much. Another organization, um, Operation World, check them out. Very similar. Um, but these organizations help us to figure out, all right, what work do we have ahead, have ahead of ourselves that we can pray into these things and strategically go after it? Because we want the whole world to be given that opportunity, not just our campus. Okay, does anyone know the, the missions motto of Chi Alpha? 
Okay, that's a great one. I think you should do that. You personally, just you. No, no, everyone should do that. That's great. There's another missions motto. Anyone have it? Ah, say it louder. I'm sorry. Every student goes, gives praise and welcome. I love this this application. It's very tangible for what we can do. Go on at least one missions trip in your college career. I recommend every year that you're in college. And so I'm going to give you some examples. Once again, this is not an exhaustive list of things. Okay, and I'm going to try to go through each of those four things. Go. Go on a trip. Spring break trip. Summer trip. Meet a missionary. Fun fact, they're here. They're here right now. They're in the midst of us. Connect with them. They will gladly tell you how you can get over there. They'll probably take you themselves personally. Okay? Connect them. The reason they're here is we trust them. Go with them. We have lived dead trips. I mean, just so many different things. Let's look at some more. Give. I'm going to talk about this. A wise man taught me um, when I was, I was talking to him about giving and tithing, and he said, you should give systematically, sacrificially, and spontaneously. I loved that. Systematically, sacrificially, and spontaneously. You should have a way that at least monthly, right, you're, you're probably tithing to your church monthly, but give on top of that monthly to missions. Monthly. Even if it's just like $5, just do it. Establish that now, because when some of you guys go to the marketplace and you're making the big bucks, and I'm going to ask you for support so I can keep doing what I'm doing, man, you're going to start giving more because you've already gotten in the habit of it. And you'll start increasing five to a lot more. Sacrificially, there are going to be times you hear someone and maybe a missions opportunity will come up and you'll be like, all right, that's it. We're going all out here. And you're going to give maybe more than you could or thought you could. Maybe you give up a couple meals. Maybe you fast for a day and the money you would have spent on food you give to missions. That's giving sacrificially. The last one is spontaneously. You know, you might be in a church or something or in your Kaiapha and a missionary comes through and they're like, we're going to take an offering. You're just like, you know what? I'm doing it. I know I'm giving systematically already, but let's give some more. So those are some ways we can give. You know, I highly encourage give towards your church's mission fund. Support world missionaries. We have so much work to do in world missions. And you can also give your skills, right? I know a lot of missionaries, especially some of the older ones, they don't know what to do with social media. You guys are savvy in that. You can help them do stuff like that. You know, when they come through and they're trying to get support so they can keep doing it, wrap them to your church. These are ways you can give and support missionaries. Okay, pray. I think you can also systematically, sacrificially, and spontaneously do that. You know, in Kyle, we talk about 10-2 prayer, Luke 10-2. Where God's like, or Jesus teaches disciples to pray for laborers to go out into the harvest, right? The harvest being people who need to hear the gospel and get saved. And so, you know, we in Kafa say every day, 10 to 2 a.m., pray that God would send laborers on your campus, through the world, through your city, wherever. Pray for that. Sacrificially, pray longer than maybe you think you have. And spontaneously, if you just notice a need or anything, just pray. Just pray in that moment. Pray for specific missionaries. Get to know missionaries here. They will give you a prayer card. You can follow them and pray specific prayers for them. Um, and Joshua Project that I mentioned before also will tell you how to pray for specific people groups. Welcome. Okay, this is the final one I'm going to go through. This is talking about international students. And I need to start blowing through because we have 12 minutes left. So I apologize. Um, in the United States... We have this institution called the university. I hope you guys have heard of it. It's an incredible institution because 
Literally, people from all around the world, from almost every country, are coming to our universities. Some of them from close countries that we can't get missionaries into. And they're coming to us. And you have the opportunity to reach them, to befriend them, to, to model the image of God to them, to pray for them, to share the gospel with them, and, and show them the ways of Jesus. And what happens when they get saved Start, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're living for God all out, and they go back to their nation. I would say they're the perfect missionary. For me to go to Saudi Arabia, I need to learn the culture, which means food, dress, how do you live, how do you talk to people. I need to learn the language. I don't look like them, right? In the sun, I turn red. I don't tan enough to look anywhere near. But if I reach someone from Saudi Arabia, they know all those things. So all they need is Jesus now. They're perfect missionaries in some way. And there's some tough parts they'd have to get over, but when you reach an international student here, you have an opportunity to reach their whole nation. Have you thought about that? I hope you do now. Shoutouts to XAI. Okay, I'm gonna give you some um, further ways to continue to learn what's going on. I highly recommend to follow the We Live Missions Instagram. as like our Chi Alpha Missions Instagram. Please follow, they put so much good stuff on there. You can also follow the Operation World Instagram. They'll put on good stuff, please. But We Live Missions Instagram, I love what they put on there. Um, the Perspectives course, it's a course you can find in your own hometown. You can take it at different levels, whether an easier level or like a master's level or grad level. Take that course, it'll blow your mind even further than what I've done. You can get a higher degree in missiology if you're really interested, but I love live dead journals and, and missionary biographies, and they encourage me greatly. Encourage me greatly. And I think, does the live dead tables have any journals still? Ah, oh, they're out. But talk to them, they can get you some. Um, Yes. So after you know showing you all of those things, I actually have a bunch of stickers up here that you can slap on your water bottle and stuff like that. And do not take this sticker if you don't actually plan on committing to any of those four things we just discussed. Don't take it. So yeah, I have plenty for everyone. You can take more than one. But don't take it if you're actually not going to commit to it. Um, and I encourage you to take some time in prayer and say, all right, I'm going to commit to these things. And you choose with God which ones you're going to really commit to. I would, of course, encourage all four, but, but be real with yourself about it. And as you commit with God, check it off. That's why there are little boxes next to each one. So that's most of what I have to say here. I actually want to invite up a Steve, who's actually a missionary. Um, just, you know, one of my favorite things to hear were missionary stories. Um, because, you know, I finally realized missionaries, they're just normal people like us that said yes to God and God used them powerfully. And so I asked Steve uh, to come up and maybe share a little bit about you and your ministry and just, just one story of how God used you and what God wants to do through us. Thank you, Taylor. Wow, he has packed a lot in this session. Yeah. Took me back to 1984 when I was in my Missions 101 class and it took a semester to hear all of what you just shared. Um, I'm so glad you're here. Um, one of the verses that I share a lot, um, you didn't mention, but you mentioned a lot, is Romans 10, 13. And um, I'm going to go to that, but first let me just say, uh, my friends are here, Grayson and Casey and Daniel, 
We're at a table out in the lobby. If you want to hear more about Asia, China, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. And anybody who wants to go to lunch, we're offering lunch with us somewhere in a Chinese restaurant. So if you want to go to lunch with us, come see us, and we'll happen to take a lunch to tell you more about China.